Father, speak to us now, for your servants are listening. Give us attentive hearts now that we would receive your word with gladness and with joy and that it would prompt a response as your grace works within us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verses 12 to 22, uh, if there's any um, weirdness in your mind about the idea of talking about circumcision, just get it out now and uh, that way we can um, approach this um, with, as we prayed, attentive hearts. So this passage is a little bit of a summary of what Moses has been uh, preaching through because the book of Deuteronomy really is a sermon um, and it's, it's like a summary of his introduction. So he's been preaching through uh, Israel's history and exhorting this second generation to, uh, to godliness, really, to walk faithfully before their Lord. So in the first four verses, Moses gives a summary of Israel's history as the basis for which then the people are then to not make the same mistakes as the first generation did. And then we get to chapter five and uh, he gives the 10 words again. So lays down the 10 commandments for the second time. Uh, chapter six, which we went through uh, in lockdown, Andrew preached through the Shema. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength and you will impress all of these commands to your children. Uh, then chapter seven, He's explaining that they are a treasured possession, that God has picked this weak and frail people out of all of the nations of the earth to be this treasured possession. And then the next chapter, chapter 8, he then reminds the people, hey, when you get into the promised land that we've been talking about for so long, and when you have houses, and when you have food, and when you have things to do and you're settled in, do not forget the Lord your God. And remember how we had the reminders then for us to not settle in, to not grow complacent. And then last week, chapter 9, this picture of the people's rebellion, the reminder that they built a golden calf, they rebelled against the Lord, but Moses stood in the place of the people to avert God's wrath. And it gave us this beautiful picture of Christ's mediation, how he steps in our place. He takes God's punishment upon himself. It foreshadowed that. And now, chapter 10, verse 12, literally the first two words, and now, and now Israel, and now for us, what does the Lord your God require of you? So after all of this whole story, this huge exhortation and command, what does the Lord your God require of you the answer to fear the Lord your God to walk in his ways to love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good this is uh, the preacher giving very helpful bite-sized concrete application after a very long-winded sermon i'm sure all of you can relate to that where the preacher often me is giving a very long-winded sermon and then you want like the short kind of bite-sized applications and moses gives it to you straight away what does he say fear god 
live with integrity, love him, serve him wholeheartedly and be obedient to his commandments. That's what the Lord your God requires of you. Fear God, live with integrity, love him, serve him wholeheartedly, be obedient to all of his commandments. And notice the last bit of verse 13, that this is for the good of the people. This is for their good. Now, these verses here, the first three verses and then the last three verses, verses 10 to 12, uh, sorry, verses 12 to 14 and verses 20 to 22. They, uh, this is a little bit of a sandwich and they are the bread or the buns of the sandwich. So the top, the first three verses, the nice bun on the top and then the last three, uh, the bun underneath, there is something in the middle, but what, what these, uh, the bread of this sandwich gives us is the what and the why. So notice the start here, uh, the first three verses that we've just gone over, that's the what. So what does the Lord your God require of you? Do this, that's what he requires of you. Live obediently, love him, have integrity, fear him. And then the last three verses give the why. So they reiterate the what, they say the same thing, verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, hold fast him, and by his name you shall swear. But then they give the why. What, why do that? Why fear him, love him, serve him? Answer, because he is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now... The Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So it's saying, you have the what, live this way, and then the why, which is basically because God has proven himself to be a faithful, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who has demonstrated his ability to provide for you both in the wilderness, but also in taking this one man, this tiny, tiny people and creating a huge, numerous people, as this, numerous as the stars of heaven. So this, the bread of this sandwich is saying, live a life of joyful obedience and service to God. That's the what. And then the why is because... He has demonstrated his absolute commitment to you in fulfilling his promises, even when it seemed totally unlikely. Now, there's meat to, to this sandwich, thankfully. There's, there's meat right in the middle and right in the center of this is verse 16. This is kind of the main verse today. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That's the, the command, the exhortation, the imperative. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart so that you will no longer be stubborn. Now, this is a graphic and quite gruesome image. Circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. And it's intended to be that way. Circumcision is cutting off the flesh. Not only that, but cutting off the flesh of an extremely vulnerable body part. It's a, it's, this passage is here to kind of draw our attention in. It's graphic because the seriousness of this is through the roof. So it, wouldn't, it obviously wouldn't carry the same weight if the analogy was trim off the hair off of the head of your heart uh, and be no longer stubborn. It wouldn't carry the same weight to it. But this is saying cut off the flesh around your heart. Right in the middle of this call for the people to live faithfully in light of what God has done for them is this call to cut off whatever barriers of stubbornness, apathy and sin lie around the hearts of the people. 
uh, and that's a word for us. I, I, I was reading this this week and just feeling that too often I feel like there is a barrier to my devotion to the Lord. There's just a barrier. There's a dullness and I don't want that. I want it to be cut off. And this is what this passage is saying today. Cut it off. Uh, so let's first look at what circumcision was under the old covenant. Circumcision was, was very simply the, the sign of the old covenant. So Genesis 17, after God had appeared to Abraham, he took Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And this is going to be the covenant, the sign of the covenant between you and me. You will circumcise every male in your household. And that will be the sign of my covenant, the sign of my commitment to you. So, so to be circumcised was to identify with God's covenant people with Israel. But the idea of cutting off the flesh carried much greater meaning than simply a sign of, of the covenant. Simply something that identified people with God. The cutting off of the flesh in this covenant served multiple purposes to show the meaning of it. It was not only the sign that you're in the covenant, but it was also the warning of what would happen if you didn't abide by the covenant stipulation. So uh, God actually says to, to Abraham in giving him the sign of the covenant, and if, if anyone is not circumcised, or basically saying if anyone does not abide by these covenant stipulations, they will be cut off, cut off from the community, sent out. We will also see that this foreshadows, this sign way back thousands of years ago foreshadowed the reality for all of us that for us to be reconciled to God, something needs to be cut off. And that is this, this bondage we have to this age of the flesh, this, this life of sin. It needs to be cut off, circumcised. Now, what was God calling the people to here when he tells them to circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. There are three particular aspects of this today that we'll go over. Firstly is laying aside the dullness of the flesh. Now, there are a number of other times in the Bible where we actually get this idea of circumcision language as a metaphor for something else. So in Jeremiah uh, chapter 6, verse 10, Jeremiah says about the people of Israel through, uh, well, God is saying through Jeremiah, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. The word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Do you get, so it's saying there's this idea of dullness about them. Their ears are uncircumcised. They can't hear. They're not listening to what I am saying. It carries the idea of dullness or imperfections which, which need to be cut off. There is something here for the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day that needed to be cut off so that they could hear properly. Or in Exodus 6, Moses, when he's about to go before Pharaoh, he says before God, God, I couldn't possibly talk to Pharaoh. I'm of uncircumcised lips. I can't. There's, there's an imperfection. I can't speak with clarity. There's an imperfection about me, a dullness about me. So to be uncircumcised in this sense is to have impairments which prevent hearing and speaking clearly. They have a, a dullness about it. 
And likewise, there are things which impair our ability to follow the Lord with our whole heart. There are imperfections. There is a dullness upon us that just creates a barrier from us being captivated by the majesty of Christ. And those things need to be cut off. I wonder if you can relate to that. Is, is there a dullness in your life? Like if you took a moment to just examine your life, is there a dullness about your life? Uh, too often I feel like I slip into that place. And it seems that from this passage, the antidote to this dullness of the flesh is the majesty of God. Is quite simply just how awesome God is. So if you look at the passage, notice the context around verse 16. If we look at uh, you might say more of the, the meat. Maybe it's like a triple meat sandwich or something or some good uh, fillings around it. There's more than just verse 16. The context of this, the context of circumcised, therefore the foreskin of your heart, is, is this imagery which conveys the idea of a God who is completely and utterly worthy of our zealous affection. Totally worthy of it. Behold, verse 14, the Lord your God or to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. That's, that's poetic language as if to say, you know, everything and more. If that was possible, belong to God. Everything, everything you see, every single person, every single thing in this creation belong to God. He owns it all. He reigns over every square inch of this world. And then after verse 16, there is another purpose clause here in verse 17. Like basically you have the imperative, do this, and then the reason for that, for this reason. And the reason is in verse 17, because the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. It's, it's as if to say, you know, lay aside the dullness of the flesh because you couldn't possibly come to know this God who owns everything, who is not partial in any way. Imagine that, a God who is completely fair in every single judgment, who shows no partiality. Not only that, but is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who's crushed in spirit. He is a God who cares for the vulnerable, the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. He cares for them. He has proven himself to be totally worthy of our zealous affection because he is so good, he is so majestic, he is so unbelievable. That's what this is saying. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God. So the primary reason here as to why we cut out dullness in our lives is because there is a God who is supreme over everything and who has shown himself to be totally worthy of our zealous affections both because of his awesomeness, just his sheer awesomeness, and because of his perfect character. He's perfect. He's not partial, not partial in any way. He cares for the vulnerable. He's a loving, caring father. Now, the second aspect of what God is calling the people to and calling us to is a life which is completely devoted to him, that Shouldn't be a, a shock to us, but that's what's clear in this passage. To circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, to cut off the flesh around your heart is to be completely devoted to him. 
Again, because the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords. There's no one else in this world that is worthy of your devotion. No one else. It's all totally to be given to him. And just look at verse 21. Just the first four words there. He is your praise. He is your praise. Just think about that statement. He is your praise. So not simply is he praiseworthy, though that's true. Not simply is he praiseworthy. It's not like you have um, this amount of praise and, and God is your praise. So you give this, this part of your praise to him. And then you might give some praise elsewhere. It's not saying that. It's actually saying any praise you have is his. It's all his. He is your praise. Anything that you feel a desire to give praise to will find its origin in him because he is the source of all good. He's the source and fountainhead of all good. So that's why he is your praise. It's not like you have this portion of praise that you give to him. It's anything. If you have any praise, it's because it, it has its origin in God and it, it is directed toward God because the heaven and the heavens... The heaven of the heavens belong to him. So anything praiseworthy must then direct itself back toward God. To circumcise the heart is to have Christ take up full residence in your heart. Just like we don't have an amount of praise that we give a part of that praise to God. Rather, he is our praise. Likewise, we don't give a part of our heart to Christ, he has it all. He he, he totally uh, takes up residence in our heart. He dwells, occupies it. Christ is our life. Now, Paul demonstrates this really well in Philippians 3, the link between circumcision and complete devotion. So I've got... The passage up here, I know it's a lot, but we'll slowly point out a few things. In Philippians 3, 3 to 9, Paul is speaking against new covenant believers getting physically circumcised. And the reason he says this is because we are the circumcision. So he's saying we, and this is in Philippi, this is a Gentile audience. These are not Jews. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. The, the circumcision was, you know, the, referring to the Jewish party. But he's saying, no, 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 we are the circumcision. We are the whole purpose of circumcision. That was always pointing to being circumcised from this realm of the flesh, following Christ. That's what it was always pointing to. So we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's what circumcision was always pointing to, a life of utter devotion to Christ with no confidence in the flesh. And Paul, after this, that's why he goes on to talk about all of these wonderful things that, remember, in the context of this, to most people, both whether you were a Gentile or a Jew, if you had some familiarity with Judaism, this was a very virtuous thing to be from the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There are all of these virtuous things. And he says, I count all of these as loss or as garbage 
They're worthless. To put it in perspective for us, it's, it's like someone today who has lived this life that seems utterly desirable to the majority of society. Like I became a CEO of a company which quadrupled its revenue in the first three years when I was there. I served on the equality board of my company and I brought changes which increased, in, in, increased inclusivity and job satisfaction. I made sure everyone felt like they had their voice heard. I visited all of the seven continents of the world. I met the president. I became a voice for the voiceless. I serve in my community. And all of that is garbage. It's garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. To cut off the flesh around our heart is to jump completely into this life of just being satisfied in Christ. Just jumping completely in because, as Paul says later on, to be found in Christ is the supreme goal of his life and of our life to just know Christ, to be found in him. Because if that is not there, if there there isn't this desire to just be found in Christ, then everything else we do will be worthless. It will have no meaning. But the beautiful flip side of that is that when this goal is there, when this goal is there for us to just want to be found in Christ, to just want to know him, then it means that everything we do has meaning. From your job to what you do in your neighborhood, it all has meaning because you've jumped into this life, which is Christ, where everything is done for the glory of God. So he redeems everything. Everything has meaning. It's a complete reversal. Your whole life, which has been cut off from the flesh, is given to him. Now, the third aspect of what God is calling us to by circumcising the foreskin of our hearts is a life where our duties and pleasures align. A life where following Christ is our pleasure. Like we read out in Psalm 119, guide me in your commands because that's where I find my delight. That is where I delight. And that's what this is calling us to. God's desire in his people to fear him, walk in his ways, love and serve him, all, are with, all of which are linked to this idea of circumcising the heart, is, is not that we would do this reluctantly. I wonder if you, you feel this. I kind of feel the, um, this atmosphere in, in our day of like when people are being called to obedience. It feels like there's this uh, reluctance to do it and it, it, it feels like that's not something I want, but I think that's a very demonic thing of, of trying to kind of, there's this barrier over us and we need to be freed from that so that we would hear the call to, to obedience in the Lord and it would be delightful. It would be refreshing for us. God's desire is that in cutting off all these things, that are attached to our heart that create that barrier. His desire is that in cutting off these things which are not directed toward him, we would then have hearts that delight in obedience. That's the goal, that delight in following him. Uh, John Newton wrote a hymn and one of the lines in that hymn says, our pleasure and our duty, 
though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty are joined to part no more. Our pleasure and our duty, he's saying, there's a time before Christ where our pleasures and our duties do not align. I remember that very well. There's times where we may feel that now, where our pleasures and duties do not align. We feel a responsibility, but they don't become our pleasure. But he's saying, but when we see his beauty, our pleasures and our duties align to part no more. To circumcise the heart is to live in this place where duties and pleasures align because the old self has been cut off and the new self now lives. Now, how does this happen for us? Maybe that all sounds very nice. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it sounds a bit far off. How do we circumcise our hearts so that we may remove the dullness of the flesh, live a life completely devoted to him and have our duties and pleasures align? Well, Paul explains this in Colossians 2. So in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So this is saying that when you trusted in Christ, when you trusted in Christ, you were circumcised. The sign of God's covenant is on you. So God's covenant, which is commitment, his, his absolute love and affection toward you by the blood of Christ is there when you trust in Christ. You were circumcised. The sign of the covenant is there. But it's not the same circumcision as in the old covenant. It's, it's not a physical circumcision. It's the circumcision which comes by the circumcision of Christ, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what's the circumcision of Christ? Well, as Christ hung on the cross, when he hung on the cross, taking the wrath of God upon himself, he took our punishment and particularly he took the punishment of Israel's covenantal disobedience. Remember that the punishment for anyone who was not circumcised or who did not abide by the covenant stipulations, they would be cut off. They would be cut off from the people. And that's what happened to Christ on the cross. He took the punishment of Israel's disobedience upon himself, of our disobedience. He was cut off. That's why he was taken outside of the gates of Jerusalem. If you remember the idea of the scapegoat, part of the sacrificial system was that there would be this scapegoat taken outside of the camp and then the sins would metaphorically be placed upon that goat and he would just be sent out. And that's what happened to Jesus, cut off, cut off from the father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off to take the covenant curse upon himself. And that is part of the circumcision of Christ. He was cut off. And we then receive our own circumcision, though not the same, but we are cut off from this realm of the flesh. Jesus entered in and, and think of this realm of the flesh as this age. This age 
that uh, has been around since sin has entered the world, where the presence of sin is around us. That is the age, the realm of the flesh. And in Christ, we were cut off from the power of that. We were cut off from the power of that sin. The presence of it still remains, but we were cut off from its bondage over us. We were cut off from this place where our hearts were stuck in disobedience. So in Christ, having been cut off from the body of flesh, we are now free to serve the living God. So in verse 12, that's why Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him from the dead. Now, what is one thing that baptism symbolizes? The believer goes under. It's that uh, as the believer goes under in the water, they are immersed, buried as Christ died. So they go down and they die to that life. And as Christ was raised to life, so believers are raised to newness of life. It's also, of course, the purification of sins entering into this purification, but it's this symbol of being buried with Christ, dying with him, and then being raised to newness of life. And the life that you have is now in Christ Jesus. So as you go down, you're cut off from the realm of the flesh. You're cut off from sin's power over you. You're cut off from the wrath of God. It's not on you anymore. Christ has taken it because you're raised to newness of life. You're raised to a life that is totally in Christ. The life we now live is not ours, but the life we now live is we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So you've been raised to this newness of life in Christ where this life of joyful obedience, his life of joyful obedience to the Father's will becomes your life. You inherit that. And that's how our hearts are circumcised in this circumcision that happened in Christ where the body of the flesh has been cut off. Now, as I finish, as we think about responding to this call and really responding to uh, every biblical command and exhortation, we have to understand the difference between our objective reality and the subjective reality. So the objective reality in Christ is that we are made new. We are circumcised. When the Father looks upon us, he sees perfection because he sees Christ. No sin. That's the objective reality. But then there is this subjective reality, which is like our sanctification, where we don't often feel that. We don't often feel that way. There's this subjective life where because the presence of sin is still around, we don't feel like all of the barriers are off. We probably feel like there's barriers on us. And that is our sanctification, or just quite simply, our life of being conformed into Christ's image. That's, that's what that is. And the way that we respond to these passages, circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, the way that we respond to that is quite simply aligning the subjective reality, the way that we feel, which is like, I don't feel like all of the barriers are gone. We have to align that with the objective reality. And that's what the life of the Christian is. It's the constant realignment. Like if you uh, get your uh, car 
um, serviced and you get a wheel alignment. I remember when I was young and uh, stupid and I didn't have any money, I wouldn't get a wheel alignment. And I distinctly remember just like having to grip the steering wheel so very hard because if I let it go, it was like gonna do basically a U-turn. Now I get a wheel alignment. It keeps the car driving relatively straight. We need to constantly realign our lives to the objective reality. Of, of what we have in Christ, which is that we have been cut off from the flesh. We are now living in the spirit. We are now living in God's pleasure upon us. And we need to constantly realign our lives to that reality. So there is a response required from us. We can't just say, when we hear circumcise your hearts, we can't either just spiritualize it or we can't say, well, that's already been done in Christ. No, we actually have to hear that and then God's grace working within us by his spirit is to then promote the realignment back to that objective reality. And you can see this in the way Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3, right after this. So you see this so well in this passage. We just read over Colossians 2, 11 to 12, where he explained uh, that um, we have been buried with Christ, so we have been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life. He explains the reality, like he's saying, that has happened to you. You're new. You are made new. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to say, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if this has happened, then seek the things that are above Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He goes on to say, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he doesn't just say, hey, you've been made new, guys. Enjoy it. He says, you've been made new. Now, Make your subjective reality, make your life align with that reality. And as you hear that, God's grace will be working within you. That's the only way it can happen. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's, it's him who will actually do it. So this call is for us to realign our lives with this reality. The call to circumcise our hearts. And two very quick final points of application as we think about how to do this very simply firstly is to examine our hearts for dullness this is um this is the most practical advice that we can have i know that there's a part of us that wants like the um, five easy steps to cutting dullness out of your life and living in victory and those are good like those are, are good but the long-lasting change the long-lasting change has to start from deep and painful examination of your heart it has to start from an excavation of your heart from contemplating is there dullness and actually the spirit's work in your life right now will be that lingering sense of conviction that there is a dullness. The most dangerous thing is to be able to hear this and think you're totally fine. That would be the evidence of dullness. 
We need to examine our heart. So is there a dullness? Is there a dullness in your heart right now? Do you hear this call to circumcise your heart, to, to cut off whatever inhibits your devotion? Is there a conviction present? Because if there is a dullness, then, I mean, regardless, you need to take this extended time to examine your heart, to actually just sit and stop. And just as the circumcision of the heart is done in Christ by the Spirit, this ongoing process, this, this ongoing checkup, realignment will be done likewise by the Spirit, by the Spirit's work. And a, a very simple way, just because I know sometimes that can sound really wafty, like to seek the Spirit's guidance, you need to kind of go to a mountain in the wilderness with doves around you and it seems really like wafty, but a, just a really simple way of seeking the Spirit's guidance is just to stop and pray through Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. There's a great psalm to guide you because it says search me god and know my heart try me and know my thoughts see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting just stop and pray through that and it is amazing if you give yourself the chance to wait upon the lord what what he by his spirit will reveal in you as you ask him search me as you say oh, i'm an open book i mean you know already god because you know all things but i'm just laying it all search me know my heart test me know my anxious thoughts see if there's any wicked way in me see if there's any dullness in me and lead me away from it lead me deeper in this way everlasting and lastly the call very simply is to cut off whatever dulls uh, devotion as as jeremiah spoke of the people in his day as having uncircumcised ears which cannot listen or take pleasure in God's word that there is a dullness over us today and just being totally honest with you I feel like this time in Canberra I have just gone deeper into uh, dullness I feel like when I was in Scotland uh, I was just like I felt like I was on a mountain with doves around me all the time I just felt so just in tune with the spirit and then coming over here uh, I have had wonderful times. I've been encouraged by a lot, but there has been a dullness. I feel like I, I need to cut things um, out of my life that are contributing to that dullness. I think we need to apply the same seriousness as Jesus did when he said, if, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's, it's much better for you to enter life with one eye than to be thrown into hell with two. I've mentioned this before, Susanna Wesley's uh, famous quote on sin. And she says, um, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Is there, if there is something that dulls your devotion... If there is something that impairs the tenderness of your conscience, takes off your relish for spiritual things, then that thing is sin. That thing is sin to you. 